feel like I have a corporate word for us. I shared it last week in Dallas, and I felt like I was supposed to share uh, this similar message tonight with you. I, I think it's very important um, for the stage and season of our church body. But I, I asked him in worship, so what are you speaking tonight specifically over uh, Upper Room Frisco and the people that are gathering here? And, uh, and I, I feel like it's for a number of y'all. I really saw it over the shucks. Like I just saw it over you. I saw it over y'all, but I saw it over you. And, and it was a scripture that I'm super familiar with. He, he told me John 10.10, 10. and I'm like, all right, John 10.10. 10. We love John 10.10. 10. If you don't know John 10.10, 10, it's the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came so that you may have life and life abundantly. So we all know that Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly, right? Yay, thank God for that life. Yes, I mean, man, Christ is our life. It says your, your life is hidden in Christ. Colossians 3 verse 4, it says that when Christ appears, who is your life? Christ is our life, yes? And so I was like, awesome. Well, well I'm going to tell everyone, listen, here's the word. John 10, 10, he came so you may have life and life abundantly. Woohoo! It's amazing. But I was like, well, really? Like, is there more? You know, I'm like, I'm like, is there more? Like, that's encouraging, but, and, and he said, he said, look at how life came. And I was like, what? And he said, read the next verse. And verse 11, so Jesus, Jesus says, I came that you may have life and life abundantly, which we love that. But verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the way that we receive life and life abundantly is through his death and him willingly laying his life down. One died so that many could live and not just live, but live abundant life. And so we, we get invited into the life that he lived. And the way that we enter into life and life abundantly <laughs> is through death. Like life in Christ is found in death. And, and I felt like the, 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 it was a play on words. It was a play on words because the words lay down just leapt off my Bible. And, and, and death, death comes through laying down things down, laying down, laying down good things, laying down like good things, laying down things that oftentimes people don't understand. My wife's talking about obedience and obedience doesn't always make sense. Obedience isn't always like it, it doesn't come with a guarantee. <laughs> she said that today. I could quote her. She was just like obedience, uh, Obedience can be mysterious at times. Obedience, I think I said it doesn't come with an explanation. Obedience is just a yes to the one whom we're following. And, and I, know, I know Jeremy and Ashley, and I know a number of people in this room that have laid things down. And, 
And oftentimes that laying down is a process and oftentimes like Jesus wasn't executed in a moment. Crucifixion was a process, it took time. And oftentimes the process of death in our lives and laying things down takes time. But I just saw, I just saw specifically the pleasure of the Lord over you guys and I feel like this is for more people that, that not only have you laid things, things down, but have you, as you've laid things down, you've laid down. Like you've, you've found rest in him. And I saw how pleased the Lord is through your faith and how you've trusted him and laid down in him, in his promises as you've laid things down. And, and I think the process of us learning to die is us learning to rest in his death so that we can find life beyond our strength and self. And I saw the number eight over y'all, and I feel like it represents August, which is a, eight is a number of being set apart or being consecrated. And I feel like there's a consecration and a designation for y'all and that this month things are gonna shift in the natural. Like I feel like, I feel like, what you guys, and again, I feel like this is for many, have laid down and said no to, I feel like the Lord is about to empower a massive yes. And what you say no to and what you lay your life down, what you lay down actually enables you to embrace what he's going to give you. Many times a giant yes, it, it is preceded by many little no's. But, but if we say yes to those things that we were supposed to say no to, when it's time to say giant yes because we're holding other things, we're not prepared to step into it. And I feel like you guys have said no to a lot. And because you've said no to a lot, the Lord has increased who you are in the spirit and the authority that you carry so that when you say yes over what you're going to say yes to, it's going to come with a massive amount of authority. And I heard this scripture over y'all too. It says, you know that scripture about what's whispered will be shouted? It says whatever's whispered in secret will be shouted on the rooftops. And I felt like the lives that y'all, and again, I feel like this is for many in this room, but specifically for the shucks, what y'all have lived out in the secret is about to be proclaimed on the rooftops and that many are gonna see what you have cultivated in this season because it's holy, set apart, and consecrated. And I just felt so honored like to watch y'all worship tonight because I know the place that it's coming from. So I just declare there's a shift coming. And I love y'all. And I'm so thankful for your yes to the Lord. My life has been deeply impacted. It has been deeply impacted by it. Y'all walk in so much integrity. I just love you guys so, so much. Y'all are special people. I'm all emotional tonight. <laughs> just a lot of a lot at stake tonight. I'm really humbled by who's in the room because I feel like it's, it's still like, it's still a season for us counting the cost, what the Lord's really calling us into. Like the cross that we bear as followers of Jesus, it's not easy. He never said it would be easy. He didn't. He never promised that when you follow me, life will just get easy. I know people preach that and say that, and we grit our teeth and believe it and smile and come to church and make it look easy. But many of us, man, life is hard. 
Many of us, man, we're, we're facing things that people don't know we're facing. We're, we're waking up to things that people don't know what we're waking up to. And, and we got to get real with ourselves. We got to get real with each other about the things that we're waking up to. Because the Lord, the Lord, listen, the Lord sees it. The Lord knows it, and he's not intimidated by it. He's not swayed. He's, his eyes are locked in, and he's ready to reveal himself no matter what, what you're waking up to. He's ready to reveal himself to you. But we've got to get over excuses. We've got to get over rationing why we're victims, and life just is hard, and we get hard-hearted and bitter. And, man, the Lord wants to break into all that stuff. I'm really in a good mood. Like my heart's happy, but I'm just really sobered by where we're at and what the Lord has in store for us. But I just want you to know if you're laying things down in this season, if you feel like if you feel like you're in a season of obscurity, if you feel like you're in a season where you, where, where you're being looked over or 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 things things aren't turning out the way that you thought they would or, or, or what, what once was straight has now become crooked. I, I, just, I just feel like the Lord is forming something in you beyond what you see or know. And I just want you to take heart tonight. I want you to take heart in, in what you're laying down and what you're, what you're saying no to ultimately is unto life and life abundantly. And as you lay down and let go, lay down in him. It's the hardest thing to do because we want to work. We want to work. We, we like to get worked up. <laughs> we we want to do something in response to what we're going through. But the beauty of the gospel is that the work has actually been done. And if we can find that, that place of rest in him through the storm, in the fire, in the trial, in the persecution, in the misunderstanding, and things not turning out like what we thought, if we can find rest in those moments, that's when we start to tap into grace. Grace comes through faith, but faith is found in rest. When we find a, a resting place in him, you can only do that by faith. But as you rest by faith in him, all of a sudden a grace meets you. And you like begin to proclaim and discover the beauty of God's grace. Grace. Grace, it's a substance from heaven that meets us in our trial and God empowers us to live differently beyond our means, beyond our measures. It's like Paul, he said, your grace is sufficient in my weakness. Your weakness was made for God's grace, but grace only comes through faith and faith begins in the place of rest. This is really good. Grace doesn't come on a prepay card. Grace isn't that way. Grace doesn't come in the form of a debit card. I have money on this card right here. And if I want to, I can swipe this card and I can buy a product with it. I can buy a lot of products with this, all right? Just kidding. Prophesy, bro, prophesy. Uh, <laughs> Grace doesn't work that way. Grace doesn't, it doesn't come on a prepaid card. You don't just get to swipe it at problems. You know, grace meets you exactly when you need it. it. It like shows up at the most perfect time. 
I've walked into a number of situations and circumstances, a number of them when I am way in over my head. Death that happens in families, diagnoses, like just thinking of bad, 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 bad things. As a pastor, I'm just talking as a pastor. And, and I'm like, I have no idea what to do or say. I've got probably things to say, but man. And as soon as I get in that moment, as soon as I get in that place, you know what meets me? Grace. It's like all of a sudden, the right thoughts, words, as I lean in my weakness into him, it's like all of a sudden I find a strength. And I feel like for some of you, you're in a place and it's become very familiar to you, the hardship, the pain, whatever it is that you're waking up to. And I feel like the Lord wants to put you in a fresh place of rest and trust in him. And that will come through faith. And I'm going to share how we get there. But it will come through faith. And all of a sudden, grace is going to start meeting you in ways that you didn't expect through relationships, through thoughts, through just a joy, through a peace. Sometimes it can be the miraculous breakthrough in a moment, but I just feel like the Lord wants to put us in a place of rest so that we can get in a place of faith so that his grace can meet us fresh and new. Does that make sense? Yes, that's good. I'm just talking. Okay, I'll keep talking. <laughs> um, yeah. I love the shucks. I love you guys. <laughs> I just love y'all. I, I love watching them. They're just... I've walked through a lot with them. I just think the world of them. Okay. Um, y'all, can I, can I give you some scripture, some good scripture about rest? There's, no, there's not really bad scripture. You're right. <laughs> That's okay. Okay. Flip, flip open your Bibles um, to Genesis chapter two. How many of you, did, did y'all, anyone here, the podcast from last Sunday on rest? Okay, a couple of you. Um, y'all may repeat some of that tonight, so uh, forgive me, but I really feel like it's a timely word. Um, I came back from, uh, I came back from, from I took vac- vacation for two weeks um, in early July, and I came back, and man, I just didn't realize the pace of our community, like just the pace of it, even planning this like, again, I was just honoring the people that have shouldered the burden, but it's been a lot. Like, when we pulled the trigger on this and leading up to it, and uh, it's just been, it's been something new. And then back home, like, I'm getting texts on my phone. We're on this text thread, and they're like, uh, we are way over code tonight. People are sitting in the aisles. Um, the overflow room is full. We're turning people away. It's like, well, oh, my gosh. Um, we, we, it's just crazy what, what's been happening as a, as a family and community. We're only eight years old. Like, eight years old, you go to Chuck E. Cheese for your birthday party, all right? <laughs> eight years old, you like big wheels and, I mean, we're, we're still young. And yet God, God has really chosen to breathe on it. And I could give you statistics and things that are just really, really supernatural what, what, what's, been, what's been happening. But, but what I've realized, what I came back to after being out for a season um, and stepping back in is I was like, man, I'm not getting on that treadmill. 
Like that thing's moving. And like I like stuck my foot on and I was like, I'm going to hurt myself. And so are all of you. But I was like, I'm the reason this treadmill's gotten as fast as it has. And I just felt like the Lord said, man, you need to stop the treadmill. You need to stop the pace that you're going. And, and it wasn't anything external as much as it is internal. And, and I, just, I just realized that, that, that we were being motivated by forces that weren't the Lord. Like, and what the Lord had started, all of a sudden we felt like we needed to respond in our strength to sustain it. And I'm like, man, that's just, that's not true. It's like believing for something's one thing, but when you're in it, it takes a different type of belief that it's going to continue without you. Does this? And so, and I realized too how, how overrated influence is and what an idol influence is, is becoming the church. It's just, it's crazy. I'm more influential, quote unquote, than probably ever. And, and I'm realizing that, that, man, just because you're influential for Jesus doesn't mean you're intimate with him. Larissa had this dream. She was trying on dresses. She's, she's teaching on this weekend. She shared it. She's trying on all these bride, bride dresses. This man was putting on all these dresses, and she was going through dress after dress after dress, and the dresses kept getting, like, like um, she didn't put it this way, but I'm going to put it this way, uh, sexier and sexier. Like, they would get tighter and re- more revealing, and she was like, she finally looked at the guy, and she said, I'm a bride. Like, my... My goal here isn't to be sexy. My goal is to be beautiful. Think about that for a second. And you're beautiful, not for those attending the wedding, you're beautiful for the one you're marrying. I feel like as a church, as a community at large, we've become really sexy for influence with the world, but we're losing beauty with with our bridegroom. And like this thing, this treadmill is, I feel like, outside forces telling us now how to steward what God began. We stewarded it to get here, so why should I adopt your your strategies all of a sudden since you're the wise one? We just stumbled into this. Why don't we just keep stumbling? That's your fearless leader. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I mean... Listen, I, I know how to stumble well with the Lord. And what I mean by that is I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to build something pretty and sexy and franchise upper rooms. Man, I want to be faithful to Jesus. Because when he looks at me in that day, I'm going to be measured based on my faithfulness. Not my, my influence. <laughs> Thank God. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's my heart and hope for us is that we can just be faithful with what he's doing and turn down the treadmill and get in a place of rest. Because I think if, I, if we knew what he had in store for us as a community, especially here in Frisco, I don't think we would believe it. I think we would get so in a frenzy and worked up that we'd somehow create our own way to do it. You know what I mean? So I just want us to rest like we're standing in his promises and he is building this house and he's going to continue to. So I want to put you in a place of rest, especially if you're laying things down. So in Genesis chapter two, um, it's the first mention of rest. Uh, two, two, one, two, and three. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were created, verse one. They were completed in all their hosts. By the seventh day, 
God completed his work which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So there's seven words that stick out to me in this. Now, how many, we've all know the Genesis. There's seven days of creation. And this, is, this is like 101. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And then on the seventh day, God rested. But, but I, wanna, I just want to point out some words here that really like leapt. So in verse one, it says uh, the, it was completed. So everyone say completed. completed. On the seventh day, God completed. Say completed again. Completed. His work, which he had done. So completed, completed. Everyone say had done. So after it was completed, completed, had done, he rested. Say rested. Again, it says he rested from all of his work, which he had done. Say he had done. Sounds really repetitive. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Everyone say sanctified. Because in it he rested. Everyone say rested. From all his work, which he had created and made. So there's seven, these seven words really, really stuck out because they describe the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, the seventh day. This is God resting from his created order. So he, he, for six days, he worked. For six days, he spoke. For six days, he created the, the, all the physical order that we see. Like the earth, everything was, was created, and then it was done. And once it was done, God rested. Now, I, I used to think God rested because he was, he was modeling something for us. Like, well, God rested, so should you. You know? It's like it's, like it's so good to rest. And this is a big deal because, because this is the fourth commandment. It says, thou shalt honor the what? Sabbath. So this would become law, and it would become a commandment from the Lord that he, we would rest because he rested. And so somehow we've related, like, God rested, so we must rest. But, but God's rest is different than our rest. Well, we need to rest. We rest every night. Our bodies force us to rest. So we, we all agree, like, rest is good, but, but, but God, God rested from, from his work, not because he's like us. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-powerful. He, like, he doesn't get fatigued. He doesn't grow weary. The Lord is not like us, but he still rested, and he rested from what he had finished. And I was sitting in this, and the Lord just said, I want to renew your mind around what true rest is. And I was like, okay, what? And all of a sudden, I saw a painter. And I started, like, seeing all these. I'm not a, if I was a painter, I would tell you, that's the only one I know is, like, the, the Monet or, is that a painting? Um, the Mona Lisa. Everyone knows the Mona Lisa. So I just started, like, seeing these uh, Van Gogh and, like, the Starry Night. And I saw these guys finished, just staring at it. He said, it was the first image I had. And then, uh, and then I saw a prosecuting attorney. And he had, he had just laid out this beautiful case. And then, and then I heard him say those final words, and I rest my case. Now, the painter and the lawyer, they're not resting because they're tired. The painter is resting because if he puts anything else on that canvas, he'll ruin the picture. And the prosecuting attorney is resting from his case because he has nothing else to say and he thinks, he thinks he's made his point so he's finished and he, he's, he's at rest because it's completed. That's the rest that this day is speaking of. It's a rest not because, not because he needed it, it's rest because it was finished, done, complete, over. And thank God he did a thorough job in those six days because that creative order is still what's sustaining the earth today. Like I get, we need to 
honor the earth and all that stuff, but we know what's going to happen to the earth because the creator told us. Like it's, thank God, I, I, won't, I won't make any points, but yeah, so many people are like, well, does he believe in global warming? <laughs> no, I just, I just, my point is like the earth is sound because God, God's finished from creating it. Like, like it's just not a big asteroid going to blow us up one day. Like he designed it perfectly for us to inhabit, take dominion over. Completed work. So, so then, then I started. This is another fascinating fact about the creation account. You can, you can, for time's sake, I'm not going to go through all the days, but every day, one through six, he ends with, and it was evening and morning, day one. And it was evening and morning, day two. Evening and morning, day three. Every single day, he says, evening and morning. He just, like, there was a beginning and end, and then a new day began. Beginning and end, and a new day began. For six days. It says that. But on the seventh day, there, in these three verses that we just read, describing the seventh day, it did not say there was an evening and morning. Do you see? We didn't read it. And that bothered me as I was thinking about this, as the Lord pointed me out this. I was like, why does it say evening and morning? Why does it say evening and morning? It took me like two days. And that like bothered me. Does that bother anyone else? Like those details are important. Mike, does that bother you? Yeah. yeah. Every other day. And the Lord, so the first thing the Lord said, well, the seventh day is different than the previous six. Okay. And I heard, oh, it's different, and that, uh, that was one of the details I found about it being different. And I realized that, 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 that another thing I saw about the seventh day in this is that the last thing he created on day six was what? Man. He's breathed into man. So man's first day was God's Sabbath or God's day of rest. And I saw that evening and morning was, was there because the seventh day, that perspective or that reality was to be Adam's only reality moving ahead. He was, his, he was to live in the day of Sabbath moving forward. Does that make sense? There would be evening and morning, but God wouldn't still be creating. Because the work was finished and Adam was born into the day of God's finished work. Maybe my notes say it better. Adam's reality would to be to co-labor with God from his completed work. Because Adam would give dominion over the earth. He would work the earth. He would work, but he would work God's completed work. This is important. I'm going somewhere with this. So the Sabbath is a big, big, big deal. Uh, another thing about, about this, this Sabbath thing and rest is that in verse 3 it says that, uh, that God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it he rested from all of his work. Now that word sanctified means holy. It means holy. It means set apart. So the first, and this is, first fruit truths are so important. That's why you study Genesis 1, 2, and 3 a lot. This is the first mention of holiness in the Bible. So the first activity of holiness, or the first thing defined as holiness, was rest. Now, that isn't the majority of people's view of holiness. The majority of people's view of holiness is do. It's what we do and what we don't do. Therefore, you're holy because of this, 
or you're unholy because of this. But that's not, that's not the biblical definition of holiness. The biblical definition of holiness is rest. I believe that a lot of our unholy behaviors aren't about our behaviors. Our unholy behaviors are because of the unrest in our lives. Unrest produces unholiness. But if we could find rest, I believe holiness would be a fruit of that rest. What are we resting in? We're resting in the work of Jesus. So, so Jesus, this Sabbath reality, if it, it points us to the cross. The, the Son of Man found no place to lay his head, but do you know the one place it says that he laid his head was after he uttered three words, it is finished. John 19, verse 30, it says, it says then, then after taking the sour wine, he uttered those three words, it is finished, and it says, the Son of Man who had no place to rest his head found a place to rest his head, and it was on that cross beam. Why did he rest his head on that cross beam? Because the work was done. What was the work? The work was everything that you would need. Everything that you would ever need in your life can be found in the act of the cross. It is so sufficient, so complete, like Jesus came on mission to work for you so that you wouldn't have to work and attempt to do things that you could never work out or work through or work for or accomplish on yourself. He came to work for you. What you need today, Jesus accomplished for you already. Isaiah 53, is his, it was like his job description. I can only see Jesus like reading Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our diseases. Surely he took up our infirmities. He carried our sins. He was led to the slaughter like a lamb. Like Isaiah 53. It is the resume of the job description of Christ when he came to the earth. And he worked it beautifully. I could go through the cross. I could go through the, the lashes and the piercings and the bruisings and the crown of thorns and the blows by the guards. Like it was so total what he took on in the flesh for you. He didn't have to do it for him. He did it for you. You. Just you. If you were the only one, he would have done it for you. If you were the only one on the earth, he knew that you could not do it yourself. So he came on mission to do something for you. It's the beautiful news of the gospel is that you, you were helpless. You were an enemy of God. You were cut off. You had fallen short of the glory like everyone had. There was no one righteous before the eyes of God, and Jesus knew that. And he came single-eyed, focused on the will of the Father, and he, in complete obedience, fulfilled every iota of the letter of the law he lived a righteous, perfect life, and then he took on all of our mess, all of our sin, all of our disease, all of our sickness. He bore it in his body. And so when he uttered those words, it is finished, and laid his head to rest, there was an invitation to a two, new type of rest that had never been afforded to mankind after the fall. What is that rest? His name is Jesus. So whether you're in church lying on a, on, a, on a cot over here because of nerve damage in your whatever's going on or, 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 or there's something happening at work or there's, there's, there's issues, there's debt, there's mounting mountains 
that are getting higher and higher. If you can find a place of rest in the finished work of Jesus, I believe that's where faith in that work starts to connect and then grace meets you and things start to change. Because you're not doing it by your strength. You're not doing it by your will. You're realizing that his will has been determined for your life in the cross. It's the answer to everything tonight. But we have to like get in a place of rest, which releases faith, which I believe gives us access to that grace. There's grace and rest. Is this fault making sense? Is this dots connecting? Oh, yeah, baby. I, I said this last week, it's just a play on words, but, but it, you know, it is finished. It's like it is done. I, I like to say, I like to use the word done instead of finished, same thing. Because I, I, I see in done, like done, D-O-N-E, um, there's, there's, like, because whenever you preach grace like this, this is grace. It's grace that it's not about you, it's all about his work. It is all about the finished works of Jesus. The work has been completed. But as soon as you start preaching grace, people are like, oh, man, but... But, like, people are just going to abuse that. Like, if it's already finished, they're just going to walk out the doors and live however they want. You know, like, you heard that? Like, greasy grace, messy messy grace, or whatever. I've been called one of those preachers, and I think more preachers need to be called that because, like, grace is offensive to your mind. Grace is incomprehensible without a renewed mind and the Holy Spirit's help. And, and so it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just veg out? Like, just live however I want? And uh, people probably hear the grace message and take it there. But what I'm realizing is that when we rest in the finished works and we realize, like, what he has done, there's a do in the done. If you spell out done, you can find a do. There's a massive do in the done. And I'm realizing that... Like, my passion for Jesus has only grown over the years. My passion and my love and my obedience and, like, following him, I just, it just, it's just, it just has grown. It's been cultivated and grows, but it, it, it's found in the done. Like, the more I understand what he did for me, the more I long to do for him. Like, it, it, doing is important, but we have to do from the done. Because if we don't do from the done, you know, there's play on words here. If we don't do from the done and we just do, and all we have is do, 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 our lives, they get pretty stinky. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of the stink in your life, I guarantee it's not from resting. I just proved that in Genesis 2, but, but like, the more we attempt to do, 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 the less the less I believe he rests and he, he rests and he lets you attempt to do all the things you want to do until you find rest in him and then he starts to move on your behalf. Are you following? Is that, yeah? Okay. So, so Jesus, Jesus finished the work. Thank you, God. Look over at Deuteronomy 31 real quick. Actually, we're not going to look at Deuteronomy 31. You can, you can check that out just for time's sake. Um, it's the principle of the Sabbath. It's, it's another time that 
he just has major consequences for the Sabbath. And, and like, it's so amazing to me that if you did not rest on that Sabbath day, they would kill you. That's how serious rest was. We don't take it that serious, though. Like, there's ten commandments. We believe in the ten commandments. Right? If I broke, if I, one of them is don't commit adultery. If I broke that, you guys, you guys would be, I mean, it had major consequences. I mean, forget my ministry, just my family. That'd be, oh. And then ministry, public, it'd just be crazy. But if I don't honor the Sabbath, oh, you just need to rest, brother. Right? Like, we, we, we have just a different view of the Sabbath than we do immorality, stealing, lying. Like, we'll just blow through a day of rest. That's, like, humbling to me when I think about it. I mean, I've been that way. I'm, this message is so for me. It's slowing that treadmill down. I, I used this analogy last week, but... Um, Chick-fil-A, like, if we want to go to Chick-fil-A tonight, we can't go, can we? Have you ever driven up to the uh, drive-thru on a Sunday? You're like, you're like, yeah, I'll take a number one. You, like, start ordering for your whole family, and then, and then you're, like, waiting for them to talk back, and it, like, clicks on you, like, oh, it's Sunday. Because a lot of times they don't have the digital thing. You're just talking to a microphone, but it take, you're like, man, what's wrong with this microphone? It's not working, but then it hits you. And, like, you get really mad, but then you rejoice because you're like, oh, they're Christians. You know, you're like, dang Oh, wait, I love that they do that. <laughs> right? It's like so funny. I've done that so many times. Uh, well, there was this article on Inc. Inc.com, read it two weeks ago, and they were talking about just the anomaly that Chick-fil-A is because um, they were studying Chick-fil-A, and, and it actually says in this article that, that it, they give their employees uh, a day for rest and worship, which is pretty cool. Rest and worship. And they started looking at the competitors. Uh, they had, um, I know, I know uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken was on there, but other, other retail fast food, or other fast food franchises. And... Uh, they, they were studying the numbers because those other fast food ran- franchises are open seven days a week. And so, like, I think McDonald's was in there. Uh, but they were looking at the numbers for an individual store. And the average individual store of Chick-fil-A grosses $1.1 million annually. What? Oh, did I say Chick-fil-A? Sorry. For, uh, for the competitors, $1.1 million annually. But for Chick-fil-A, which is closed one day a week, so it's only six days, just went through that. Should have done the math to figure out how many days they're missing. But Chick-fil-A grosses uh, 4.4 million. It's four times the amount. So cool. And we loved, I mean, Chick-fil-A is good, but like, I don't know if it's that good. (laughs) And it's, what it is, is it's a witnessing tool. There's, there's this way to witness to those around us by protecting our Sabbath, by protecting that day of rest. And so I, I, 
I just want to call, I just want to ask you, are you resting? Like this week, did you take a day of rest? And what does that look like? Are you in a rhythm and a routine? Because I, I feel like a lot of our physical issues, I feel like a lot of the things happening to us physically, stress, depression, I think they come from us not resting. I felt last week when I was preaching this, and I feel it even tonight, just hit my heart again. I feel like some of you, if you'll adhere to this, you will cut off future diagnoses. You'll cut off future diagnoses. The Lord will meet you wherever you're at, and if you have diagnosis, maybe finding the place of rest. Uh, Robert Morris, I got a lot of revelation on this from him. He's a pastor at Gateway, amazing teacher, has an awesome set of teachings on Sabbath. He mentioned a story about a, a friend of his that he wanted to have uh, lunch with on a, it was like a Thursday. And the guy's like, uh, it's my day off. And he's like, great. We can have lunch. He goes, no, 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 it's my Sabbath. And he goes, okay, we, okay, you can still have lunch. You got to eat on your Sabbath. And the guy's like, you don't understand. And he said, why don't we meet next Monday and I'll tell you why I'm not meeting with you on Thursday. And so, uh, so they ended up, ended up meeting that Monday, and the man said that uh, it was like seven years, a couple years prior uh, to this, he was in a hospital bed uh, dying of cancer. And the Lord spoke to him, and it's out, of, it's out of 2 Chronicles 36, where the land had not been given enough Sabbath, so the people went into exile so the land could rest. You know, land needs rest every seven years. Every seven years, Shemitah year, they were to give agriculture to the land rest. Even, even the federal government today will subsidize farming so that lands can rest. It's a scientific fact that the land needs rest. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, the Israelites had not given the land rest for 490 years. And so the Lord sent him into, I mean, he's serious about rest. He sent him into exile. And the priests who are writing that said, after the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, the people got to come back to the land. And if you do the math, it's 70 years, 70 times 7 is 490. It was every king prior to like after Solomon. Crazy. But they just got in a rhythm and routine and just denied that one, like totally disobeyed that one commandment. And I feel, this, so this man, this man said he'd been, he was dying, dying of cancer and the Lord gave him this revelation out of 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and said, if you'll honor the Sabbath, I'll heal your body but your body's reacting this way because you have not honored the Sabbath. And he got that revelation and immediately he, his body gained strength. He, he left the hospital room and he's been honoring the Sabbath ever since and been cancer free. That was the story Robert Morris told, which I believe. So I just think a lot of our ailments are, are from us not resting. So I just, I just encourage you to, to rest. I know for me, my marriage needs rest. My marriage needs rest from our kids. My marriage needs rest from ministry and church. So every Wednesday night, 6.30, we have a date night. It is like sacred, holy grail of the week. Don't touch it. Like we just don't touch it. And it, for me, it's been the health of our marriage. Our marriage is so solid because we have protected it. It's going on 10 years. It started when we were dating. So I think some of your marriages need rest. Your bodies need rest. Uh, people... Yeah, people, um, I remember when I was preaching uh, early on, I used to freak out when Sunday was getting near, and I didn't feel like I had anything to share. I was like, oh, man. And so Friday's supposed to be my day off, but if I didn't have anything going, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep plowing and studying and, 
And I just get worked up in a frenzy. It just wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy preaching, but I knew I was called to do it. And long story short, I got this revelation about, about resting specifically from sermons. And, and, and so now I don't even, I mean, I, I study, I don't study to preach. I study to live oftentimes. But it's amazing to me. Like there's some Fridays I have no idea if we're not in a series or something. I have no idea what I'm going to teach on Sunday. I mean, my heart's full and I'm ready, but I just don't have like a clear word. And so Friday I will take completely off. I will not think about it. It is like the most restful day for me. And guaranteed Saturday morning at prayer at the upper room, which we go to at 10 to 12. It's amazing. I think you should come. The spirit of revelation falls upon me and I know exactly what I'm supposed to say. It's like as I honor the Lord in that principle, I don't get worked up in a frenzy, but I really surrender in faith. Man, that's grace. It falls upon me in that capacity. And I just feel like for some of us in our workplace, for some of us in our parenting, for some of us in these areas, if we'll learn to give our mind and our soul a day to step away from it, however that looks, I think the Lord will give us ways to do it. There's a grace that meets us and changes us. Um. So, I've got some other things, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land it. Is this encouraging? Yeah. I hope so. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like one of, the, one of the ways that we can land is, how many of you have, like, promises from the Lord? Like, like there's some promises that are really clear before you. You're like, man, the Lord has spoken to me about this area in my life or that area in my life like but it hasn't come to fulfillment yet you got them okay awesome so one of the things i do regularly on my sabbath is is uh is on my cell phone it'll it'll connect to my car and whatever and i have a section of my cell phone that's just my prophetic words so i'll just play my prophetic words and just eat and chew on them and i think i think resting in him it's good to just review promises and to chew on them so i just wanted to lead us to a place of uh the last point I was going to say about rest is Thanksgiving is a great way to enter into rest. And so how I wanted to, to, to land tonight is if you're with your spouse, um, you can pray with them. If, if you're not with a spouse or anyone, I encourage you to get with someone in the room. And let's just give God thanks for promises that he's spoken over our lives. Is that cool? Let's uphold them before the Lord tonight and just say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanna, I want to thank you for these promises. And Lord, I want to I enter into rest that you're going to fulfill them, that every promise that you've spoken to me is yes and amen. And just give him thanks for what he's going to do tomorrow and the coming days.